Thank you for tuning in to the Bread of the Word podcast. Bread of the Word is an online ministry striving to feed people the life-sustaining bread of God's Word. Bread of the Word exists for the reclamation of the Bible in the heart, mind, and walk of all the saints of God, for it is the Bible itself which is the ultimate standard by which people are to live and honor God. Thank you for tuning in. This is Bread of the Word. Welcome back to the Bread of the Word podcast, Reclaiming the Bible and Exalting Christ, one verse at a time. My name is Tyler, and we are continuing in our study in the book of Ecclesiastes, asking the questions that make us whole. And we will be wrapping up chapter 3 today, reading verses 16 through 22. And it says, Moreover, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness, and in the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time for every matter and for every work. I said in my heart with regard to the children of man, that God is testing them, that they may see themselves, that they are themselves but beasts. For what happens to the children of man and what happens to the beasts is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath. And man has no advantage over the beasts, for all is vanity, all is hevel. All go to one place, all are from the dust, and to dust all return. Who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward, and the spirit of the beast goes down into the earth. So I saw that there is nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his work, for that is his lot. Who can bring him to see what will be after him? As you can probably tell, there are some points in this text that have proven to be somewhat of an interpretive challenge for both modern readers and even an ancient Jew. But as we do every every week, we will go through this verse by verse and try to draw out that, that true meaning, that deep sense of what was said. Starting with verse 16, Moreover, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice... Even there was wickedness, and in the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. And the Septuagint rendering of that reads a little different. And it says, Still I saw the place of judgment under the sun. There was the wicked, and the place of righteousness, there was the pious. As um, moving on from Ecclesiastes 3, we will see Solomon continue fleshing out the problems of mortality of death and evil and injustice and Solomon here laments the existence of a moral mixed bag as it seems in the place of judgment under the sun literally under heaven on earth there is wickedness the judges of the earth entertain wickedness entertain sin the legal center of human culture is not pious and pure as it ought to be 
Zechariah paints a beautiful picture of Zion, the kingdom of God, the city of God. And some thought this was the future of Israel as a nation. In Zechariah chapter 8, it says, And the word of the Lord of hosts came, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I am zealous, I am jealous, my mistake, for Zion, with great jealousy, and I am jealous for her with great wrath. Thus says the Lord, I have returned to Zion, and will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. And Jerusalem shall be called the faithful city, and the mountain of the Lord of hosts, the holy mountain. Thus says the Lord of hosts, old men and old women shall again sit in the streets of Jerusalem, each with staff in hand because of great age. And the streets of the city shall be full of boys and girls playing in its streets. Thus says the Lord of hosts, it is, if it is marvelous in the sight of the remnant of this people in those days, should it also be marvelous in my sight, declares the Lord of hosts. Thus says the Lord of hosts, behold, I will save my people from the east country and from the west country, and I will bring them to dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. And there shall be my people, and I will be their God in faithfulness and in righteousness. When Zechariah is speaking here, Israel is returning from their exile to Babylon and Assyria and other nations, and they are coming back to rebuild. And the assumption oftentimes with the Jews was that this text was a promise of Israel politically, that there would be a political utopian state. But if we fast forward a little bit to um, the ministry years of Christ, that hasn't happened. Even today, that hasn't happened yet. I believe that what Zechariah is prophesying there was about a spiritual Zion, about the kingdom of God coming down, as opposed to Israel, the nation, being established as a utopian society. But following this trek, um, if we jump to Matthew 23, when Jesus is addressing the Pharisees, the, the legal authorities uh, concerning the Torah, not the Old Testament, these, um, to put in layman's terms, they were the Jewest of Jews. If anybody had this thing figured out, it was them. They were the pious ones of society. They were the ones people wanted to be because they were they were the standard of holiness and righteousness. And hear the words of Christ. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within, you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you build the tombs of the prophets, and declare the monuments of the righteous, saying, If we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. And thus you witness against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measures of your fathers. You serpents, you brood of vipers, how are you to escape being sentenced to hell? Therefore I send you prophets and wise men and scribes, some of whom you will kill and crucify, and some you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town, so that on 
you may come all the righteous blood shed on earth, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, whom you murder between the sanctuary and the altar. Truly I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. And we go, what? How do we get here? How do we get to this point when the the up and ups of society are not up and up? Matthew Henry comments on these verses, we are really what well, we are inwardly. Our motives may keep the outside clean while the inside is filthy. But if the heart and spirit be made new, there will be newness of life. Here we must begin with ourselves. The righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees was like the ornaments of a grave, or dressing of a dead body, only for show. The deceitfulness of sinners' hearts appears in that they go down the streams of the sins of their own day, while they fancy that they should be opposed to the sins of former days. The presence of wickedness in the, quote, places of righteousness illustrates our great problem, that we are not good. Jeremiah 17 says, The heart is deceitful above all things, and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins, even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. The Septuagint um, says that the heart is bathia, deeper. It is the man. The heart is deceitful above all things. This is our predicament. Um, Philip Ryken puts it this way. This is one of the most powerful statements of human depravity in all of scripture. The doctrine of total depravity means that every human being is sinful through and through. No part of the human person remains untouched by sin. The mind, the will, the emotions, and the conscience are all corrupt. So is the heart, which is the innermost core of the human person. It, too, is depraved. And what does Solomon do with this reality? Back to Ecclesiastes 3, verse 17. I said in my heart, remember, if you, as we've followed that phrase through Ecclesiastes, that is, he's applying the wholeness of his being to this. He is he's very introspective. He's pondering very deeply. And what is he pondering? That God will judge the righteous and the wicked. For there is a time for every matter and for every work, which ties back to, earlier in this chapter, to everything there is a season. I said in my heart, with regard to the children of man, that God is testing them, that they may see that they themselves are but beasts. And we, we wince at this phrase, testing, because we... Um, because of Christianese, you know, the, one of the Christian cliches of our day is God will never give you more than you can handle. And we get that from a particular passage um, that Paul wrote to Corinth. That's there not to say that God is tempting them. 
because that's not in his nature. But there's a difference between tempting and testing. God does not tempt us to do wrong because that would contradict his nature and his goodness. But God can test us. He can prune us. He can do as he did with Job. That he can subject us to hardships, to things that force us to be reliant on him. And why? Because it is for our good. But at the end of the day, God will judge evil. But if we are all wicked to the core, what does that mean? God will judge wickedness. We just read that the heart is desperately wicked. Hebrews 9, and just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Judgment is due, but God has provided a rescue. The reality is, like Solomon says, man is like an animal, made by God and subject to his rule. We are not the superior beings. For what happens to the children of man and what happens to the beast is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath, and man has no advantage over the beasts, for all is vanity. When we read Genesis 3, and Genesis 2, my mistake, when God breathed into man the breath of life. We often think that that's the granting of a soul. But when we get to Noah, God says that he's going to destroy every living thing that has the breath of life in it. And that is a phrase that is repeated through the account of the flood. It's not just people that have the breath of life. The breath of life is God making things alive. As we see here, they all have the same breath and have no advantage over the beasts. Death. It is the end of the story on earth. The end of every person's story in every biblical genealogy is death. Except one. Matthew 1.16 And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christos, which is the Greek word for Messiah in Hebrew, the anointed one. 1 Corinthians 15, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. And then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Christ has interceded in this pattern, that we all die. But Christ did not. Christ is God, and he has intervened in this, this cycle that we're in. Ecclesiastes 20 says, All go to one place. All are from the dust, and to dust all return. 
he knows whether the spirit of man or who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward and the spirit of the beast goes down into the earth and so i saw that there is nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his work for that is his lot his allotment who can bring him to see what will be after him in in genesis the phrase ha adam is hebrew and it means from the dirt adam as we translate that simply means from the dirt because god made him from the ground this thing he made from the dirt genesis 3 part of the consequences of the fall says by the sweat of your face you shall eat bread until you return to the ground for out of it you were taken for you are dust and to dust you shall return and Solomon uses that same illustration in Ecclesiastes because much of the content of Ecclesiastes points us back to Genesis to the point where things were how they were supposed to be and where things went wrong and death is a product of what went wrong man is temporary from dust to dust an image in Genesis that Solomon draws to mind but the thing is judgment comes after death of which we all stand guilty but Christ has intervened for us back to 1st Corinthians 15 the first man Adam became a living being the last Adam became a life-giving spirit but it is not the spiritual that is first but the natural and then the spiritual the first man was from the earth a man of dust the second man is from heaven as was the man of dust so are also are those who are of the dust and as is the man of heaven so are those who are of heaven just as we have borne the image of the man of dust we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven and the sacrifice of Christ on the cross takes us from where we were to where God is exalted where we are united with Christ with God himself Acts chapter 17 since the God who made the world and everything in it being Lord of heaven and earth does not live in temples made by man nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything since he himself gives all mankind life breath and everything and he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth having determined allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling place that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him yet he is actually not far from each one of us for in him we live move and have our being as some of your own poets have said we are bound to God he is our creator we are his creation there is continuity here and we were not in a good place sin takes us where we don't necessarily want to be because the end of the way is judgment there is a way that seems right unto men but in the end leads only to destruction and that is the path of sin um, Saint Basil once said that Satan cannot make the make hell appealing so he makes the road that leads there more appealing
Romans 6 says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Are we to keep sinning so that we can receive more grace, basically? And Paul says, by no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Gregory of Nyessa write, um, comments on this verse in this way. Now, if we have been conformed to his death, meaning Christ's, Sin henceforth in us is surely a corpse, pierced through by the javelin of baptism, as that fornicator was thrust through by the zealous Phineas. And the, and the church fathers wrestled with this idea of baptism, and what it is, what it means, and I don't necessarily agree with everything they said on baptism. But at the root of what Gregory is saying here, baptism means something. It's not just getting wet. It's not just water. Baptism means something. And as a sign of this grace that we have received, believers are baptized. A tangible sign of what God has done according to his faithfulness. We are united with Christ in his death. And we ourselves have died to our sinful selves if we are in Christ. We are his. And where he is, we are. Colossians 3, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. The death of Christ bridges the gap between us and God and brings us into his fold. When we were stuck in this, to use modern terminology, this dust-to-dust -dust pipeline that we, we are stuck in this cycle of coming from the dust and returning to the dust. The remedy for that cycle, for this dust-to-dust -dust pipeline, is the new birth. Christ, through his life, his death, and his resurrection, takes us from the filthy sinner we were and makes us to stand in his presence as his adopted heirs. The grace of God unites us to Christ through his sacrificial death. We were slaves to sin. Romans 6 elaborates on this much more distinctly that we were slaves of sin. And the idea of slave imagery in the New Testament is affiliated with debt. That people entered into slavery to pay off debts. So in that, encapsulated in that image, we have slave of sin and we have in debt, a sinful debt. And Christ not only bought our freedom, but brought us into the family. 
Jude chapter, Jude verse 1 is addressed to those who are called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. And that is three words for the same group of people. Summoned, beloved, and kept. Kalitos, Agapeo, Terio. Called, beloved, and kept. That is everyone that is in Christ. My favorite words in the Bible are in Christ. Back to Romans 6. For if we have been united with him in a death like this, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like this. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. So that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin. Once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So we are dead, we are in debt, we are slaves. All in the same chapter. One, one, one thing that's been talked about much in the world lately is our relation to debt. And how the Christian responds to things like debt and financial bondage. And Leviticus 25 gives us an image of something. That in the Hebrew culture there was this thing called Jubilee. That every so often they would cancel all the debts. They would free all the slaves, all the servants. And it was a reminder of the freedom that is in God, of the way God sets people free. Leviticus 25, verse 8 says, You shall count seven weeks of years, seven times seven years, so that the time of the seven weeks of years shall give you forty-nine years. Then you shall sound the loud trumpet on the tenth day of the seventh month. On the day of atonement, you shall sound the trumpet throughout all your land, and you shall consecrate the fiftieth year, and proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you, when each of you shall return to his property, and each of you shall return to his clan. And Origen comments on this, this text, saying, Who is there who has grasped the mind of Christ so well that he knows the meaning of the seventh year of freedom of Hebrew slaves and the remission of debts and the intermission of the cultivation of the Holy Land? Over and above the feast of every seventh year is the feast called Jubilee. No one can ever come near divining its precise meaning or the true import of the prescriptions enjoined by it, except him who knows the Father's will and his disposition for every age according to his incomprehensible judgments and unsearchable ways.
Who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has given anything to him that he might be repaid? His ways are not ours. But according to his perfect wisdom, in his perfect ways, God has brought forth redemption that redeems our life from the grave and makes us to stand in the place of saints. Because Christ was made to stand in the place of sinners. In summary, death is anticipated. From dust to dust, every man goes. But there is hope of being renewed and raised to newness of life through the person and work of Christ. The redemption we need is Christ. And so let us go promptly to the Christ that can ease our burdens and make us whole, and to stand in his presence as his sanctified and adopted children. And I leave you today with Jude verse 24 and 25. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Thank you for tuning into this episode of the Bread of the Word podcast. I pray that it has been beneficial to your walk with God and that he has called you into a deeper relationship and fellowship with himself. If you want to hear more from Bread of the Word, feel free to hit that subscribe button down at the bottom. Get notified about new content whenever we go live. Um, you can also watch us on Rumble Video and YouTube, or you can listen on your favorite podcast platforms. Um, you can also find us on social media. If you want to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Gab, links will be provided in the bio um, if you would like to check those out. And there will also be a message in the comment section, um, a free gospel message for download entitled The Two J's, The Joy of the Potter and the Journey of the Clay. That is something that I've written, that is something God laid on me to write and then send out. And so I'm not making anything off of it. I'm not selling it. It is free for you to read and share. We need a further saturation of the gospel in our world, in our culture. And it starts right here. Bread of the Word Ministries exists for the reclamation of the Bible and the exaltation of Christ through the reading and teaching of His holy transformative word. I hope you guys have a great rest of your day. God bless. Matthew 4.4 4.